What's going on, guys? It's Danny from Fantasy Stock Exchange here, bringing you the top waiver wire ads post week one, entering week one or entering week two for fantasy football. So, again, this series is actually going to be coming out every Tuesday. You should be seeing this around 12 31 for this episode, but I'm typically going to try to get them out for earlier in the morning for you guys. But yeah, uh, just going to be talking about the biggest performances from potential waiver wire options during week one. I mean, buckle in, boys. We got 15 more weeks to go. Well, 16 if you count the buy. But just glad to have fan or football back under wraps for this season. So, yeah, just going to be talking about the top performing waiver wire type players and who you should spend your fab on, how much fab you should spend, whether you should use your top waiver wire priority. And uh, just going through all of that today. But before we do that, let's hit the intro. Okay, so as I mentioned, going first, we're actually going to be talking about the top waiver wire quarterback. So I'm going to mention Kirk Cousins from the uh, Minnesota Vikings. So his current ownership in terms of Yahoo is actually at 35%. So just going over his week one performance against Green Bay again, 259 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception, at four carries for 34 yards, and a two-point convert. So he ended up producing 22.76 points in four-point touchdown uh, leagues. Going into week two, he plays the Indianapolis Colts, who absolutely just got shredded by Jacksonville. We're going to actually mention uh, the Jacksonville quarterback, a little hint later in the uh, the video, well, next uh, discussion. But uh, the Jacksonville de- or Indianapolis defense allowed three passing touchdowns, and the Vikings in general just have a consistent offense as they put it on display against the Packers defense. So uh, when you're talking fat potential, I wouldn't spend more than 5%, nothing crazy. Uh, he'll most likely be just a high floor backup if you took a chance at your quarterback one spot. But in a one quarterback league, a guy like Kirk Cousins, who has shown to be a consistent top 15 option for the past five years, uh, is definitely a good uh, add, especially against a Colts defense that, again, did not have their best showing against Jaguars. So uh, if you need him to play this week, I would feel comfortable with throwing him into my lineup as soon as week two. So going into the next edition, we're going to be talking about Gardner Minshew from the Jacksonville Jaguars. So as you see on the screen, week one against Indianapolis, just mentioned how their defense did against the Jaguars. Well, the Jaguars pivot is Gardner Minshew. He was able to put up 173 passing yards and three touchdowns, and he rushed for five, uh, five carries for 19 yards. All in all, producing 20.82 fantasy points and four-point touchdown leagues. So uh, week two, he does play the Tennessee Titans. So again, that's a tough matchup for week two. But uh, looking past that, he gets to play the Miami Dolphins, Cincinnati Bengals, Houston Texans, and Detroit Lions before his week seven bye. So definitely a very favorable stretch in terms of scheduling after that week two matchup. Again, if you're going to pick him up off the waivers, wouldn't necessarily throw him into your lineup against that Titans tough defense. But after that, he's got a nice little stretch of game. So talking about fab potential, Again, 5%, similar to Cousins in a one-quarterback league. I will not blow a ton of fab on a waiver wire quarterback, but Gardner is well worth the 5%, again, with that slate of matchups on the schedule. So, again, general rule of thumb as well, I mentioned the waiver wire priority. Don't spend it on a quarterback. If you have top priority, make sure you're using it on a running back or a receiver for the most part, and we're actually going to mention one really high upside tight end later on as well. So, uh, going into the next quarterback, we're going to be talking about Mitch Trubisky, quarterback from the Chicago Bears. So he's currently owned in 3% of Yahoo leagues. So again, week one against Detroit, 
put on a clinic. I mean, 242 passing yards and three touchdowns. And he had that, you'd love to see the rushing upside. He had three carries for 26 yards. So all in all, 24.28 fantasy points in four-point touchdown league. So again, week two, he does face the New York Giants. The Giants just gave up 22.06 fantasy points to Big Ben this Monday night. If you guys are watching this on the Tuesday, would have been last night. Uh, and in 2019, the Giants gave up the third most point per game to the quarterback position at 21.6. So, again, great week two matchup. You can put him into your lineup right away. Following week two, Mitch gets Atlanta, Indianapolis, Tampa Bay, and Carolina. All favorable matchups. So, if you're talking about fat potential, I wouldn't mind, like, maximum if you're going to do 5%. But typically, I would probably hover around that 3% range simply because uh, while the other guys, in my opinion, do have the starting jobs locked down for the rest of the season, I would – not necessarily bid as much for Mitch as them, simply because if he has any single down stretch, down game, those Chicago Bears can just look towards Nick Foles as a potential replacement. So he's got a little bit more risk baked in, so that kind of gets him to that 3% as opposed to the 5%. So so a really good option, especially with those uh, matchups on the slate. So Next, we got Jimmy Garoppolo from the uh, San Francisco 49ers. So again, we're doing this at a threshold where uh, if they're 55% owned or less, We'll talk about them. So he just meets that threshold at that 52% ownership on Yahoo. Again, recapping his week one, 259 passing yards and two touchdowns. And he also rushed for nine yards on that one carry. 17.14 PPR, not PPR, but uh, four-point passing touchdown points. So again, not necessarily a great showing in week one, but, you know, solid. If you put him into your lineup, you definitely wouldn't be uh, disappointed with that stat line. And uh, it's just going to go up. For week two because he does play that New York Jets defense that got absolutely shredded by Josh Allen. 21, sorry, 28.18 fantasy points by Josh Allen in that game or the QB4 on the week. The Jets defense just simply lacks the talent to actually fend off opposing offenses for the 2020 season. Again, lost CJ Mosley for the season, lost Avery Williamson, and of course, the biggest loss on their defense just so happened to be that trade of Jamal Adams prior to the season. So again, following week two, Jimmy has a, favor- a very favorable schedule that features the Giants, Eagles, and Dolphins from weeks three to five. So again, you're getting that week two to five stretch with a really, really nice schedule from uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. So again, similar to Mitch Trubisky, I'd probably bid around 3%. The reason why it's only a three as opposed to the five of the other guys is because with Jimmy Garoppolo, again, he's very he's very attached to a run-heavy offense, uh, that uh, which would limit his passing volume. So I don't necessarily believe he's going to have the passing volume of the other guys. And I'm mentioning the actual uh, rushing factor. Again, Mitch Trubisky, Gardner Mitchell both have legs. We show Claire Cousins actually had 34 rushing yards. You're simply not going to get that with a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo. So uh, that's why he's here at that 3% range. But still a fine option with that slate of schedule uh, that he's going to be facing up. So heading off the quarterbacks and going into the running backs, we're going to be talking about Nike Hines running back from the Indianapolis Colts, who currently has a 20% ownership in Yahoo League. So recapping his week one, he was just phenomenal, looked great. Uh, Talking about it, seven carries was actually one that surprised me. I thought he would probably be in that four to five range. So seeing him get seven uh, was definitely encouraging to see. 28 rushing yards. And then why why he's on this list, eight targets, eight receptions, 45 receiving yards, and two total scores. So, again, the narrative that's always going to be pushed is Philip Rivers loves throwing it to his running backs. And as you can see there, I mean, he had eight targets, eight receptions. Jonathan Taylor had six receptions. Like, there was a lot of targets to go around in that Colts backfield. So, we did see Naheem Hines eventually enter that kind of, I don't want to say scat back, but receiving option role for a Philip Rivers-led team. So, 
Talking about week two, Minnesota just allowed eight catches to the running backs last week and over 100 rushing yards. And they should be playing catch-up because, again, I, I do believe that overall the Vikings have a superior team and will bounce back off that loss to the Packers. But if that's the case, I mean, Naheem Hines is going to be on the, on the field a lot. It's going to be uber-efficient, hyper-targeted. I mean, this is just an option with Marlon Mack out for the season. I mean, Hines and Taylor are going to be every week starters, in my opinion. Uh, again, if you're in standard – you maybe would be less inclined to go for a guy like Naheem Hines. But, I mean, if you're talking about half and full PPR formats, I do think at the minimum he can give you top 25 production, top 30 production on a week-in, week-out basis for Naheem Hines. So, talking about foul potential, I, would, I wouldn't even be opposed to spending 45-50% on a guy like this. His role is locked for the season, in my opinion. Again, Jonathan Taylor is going to be that, I don't want to call him a bruiser, but uh, – He'll take a lot of the, the inside carries, first and down work, while Naheem Hines could see a ton of receiving work and that third down type duty. So definitely like Naheem Hines, breaking it down again. Without Marlon Mack, Rivers is going to rely on him a ton. So bidding 45% is definitely reasonable in my opinion. So talking about the next running back, we're going to go into Benny Snell, running back from the Pittsburgh Steelers, currently with a 17% ownership for the uh, Yahoo. So uh, week one against the Giants, 19 rushing attempts, 113 yards, only had one target, unfortunate, and he didn't have a he didn't have a catch. But I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention why he's the biggest pickup right now, and that is James Conner. The health status of James Conner is unknown. Went down in that week one tilt after only six carries, did not return to the game. So he's definitely a big question mark at this point. And if James Conner misses any time, Benny Snell is going to be a at the minimum RB two in my opinion, <clears throat> uh, low end RB two. High-end flex play uh, that is ultimately going to supplement a ton of points because, again, as we mentioned all offseason, although James Connors are fine back, whoever's running in that Pittsburgh system is going to be able to produce from a fantasy point uh, fantasy point perspective. Again, high-octane offense, very good offensive line. I do think the running back that's going to get the workload is going to perform. And at this current juncture with the Connor injury, Benny Snell is in line to receive a ton of work. So mentioning his Week 2 matchup, again, Denver was able to hold Derrick Henry to 131 total yards on 34 total touches. 3.85 yards per touch. Definitely limited a very good running back. So, again, if you win Snell off the waivers, I wouldn't – I wouldn't necessarily just thrust him into your lineup. I would try to stash him maybe for week three and on because, again, that Denver Broncos defense is very stifling. But if you have to throw him to, into your lineup, I mean, he's going to get the workload if James Conner misses any time. So just his upside is not going to be there against Denver. But week three and on, fire him up. Talking about a overall fat potential, I bid around 35%, maybe 40%, depending on the uh, status of James Conner. Again, the sprained ankle is definitely a concern. So monitor that uh see what any news that happens over the uh the course of today and ultimately you're gonna have to put the waiver in but if anything else doesn't really get released by the end of today i would still feel fine putting in that 35 percent because again that pittsburgh situation is so ideal that benny snell is going to be a performer if he is able to get that job with connor out so talking about the next guy we're going to talk about malcolm brown running back from the la rams 26 percent ownership in yahoo again we all saw the Sunday night game. We all saw what he was able to do against my beloved Dallas Cowboys. Again, 18 rushing attempts, 79 rushing yards, and two scores. And he did have a little role in the receiving game as well with four targets, three receptions, and 31 receiving yards. So, again, talking about week two, he enters a matchup against the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, they're a beat-up team that just lost to Washington, the football team. Philly allowed two rushing touchdowns, 65 rushing yards, and three receptions to the running backs. Brown should see high volume and touchdown upside once again. Talking about Malcolm Brown, I mean, 
don't get me wrong. I love Cam Akers. I think by week six at the max, he's going to end up taking a huge role in the offense. But for the meantime, Malcolm Brown, as we saw, 22 total opportunities in that game against Dallas. There is a ton of volume to go around between those running backs again. Did not expect to, uh, Jared Goff to only throw it 31 times. But if that's going to be their game plan on offense, heck, both those Rams running backs are going to be viable, especially if Malcolm Brown is taking that lead role as he showed on Sunday night. He's definitely worth that 25 to 30% range. Uh, and if you have to bid a little bit more, you need a guy who can step in these next few weeks. Malcolm Brown is a fine pickup uh, for these next few weeks, especially. Again, I do think Cam Akers is going to take the lead back or featured back job soon, but it, at the end of the day here, if you're getting a running back with the amount of upside that Malcolm Brown has for the next few weeks, even if you're only getting that production for the next few, these early season matchups are the most important in fantasy because they set the tone for the rest of the year. So if Malcolm Brown can get you a win in these next few weeks, heck, he's going to be worth that 25-30% of fab. So again, he's going to be a little game script dependent. I don't necessarily believe he's going to have a ton of receiving work every single game. But, I mean, the Rams are a good team. They should figure to be uh, figure to be in most games. That ultimately, I do think his usage for the next few weeks is going to be outstanding. So, talking about Malcolm Brown, good pickup. Next running back, guy we've been toting on the channel for the whole offseason, and that's going to be Chase Edmonds running back from the Arizona Colonels, currently at 40% ownership. So, again, just going over his week one against San Francisco. He had six rushing attempts for 26 uh, rushing yards. And five targets, three receptions, 19 receiving yards, one total touchdown. So definitely uh, good to see that he was still involved in the offense. Again, we, uh, people have been telling Kenyon Drake all offseason. I also said that Chase Edmonds would be a fine, at minimum, standalone value in that ninth, 10th round area where he's going. And the way week one looked, he definitely got his opportunity. So talking about the matchup against Washington football team, they stifled, stifled the, the Eagles ground attack to 57 total yards on 17 combined carries. Again, we're, we'll see if they're able to replicate that uh, week one showing, if they're going to revert back uh, towards their 2019 performance that had 22.6 points per game to the running back position, fourth most league-wide. So when you're actually breaking down Ed Edmonds, it's not necessarily something where, oh, I'm going to pick him up, just throw him into my lineup against Washington. With Edmonds, you're getting a super talented back that he showed he was in week one, and he's still going to be very involved in the Cardinals game plan, even with Kenyon Drake. So, Again, because of the presence of Kenyon Drake, I wouldn't bid more than 20%. But with Chase Edmonds, the reason why you're getting a ton of value at that 20% is, again, standalone value in itself. And if anything were to happen to Kenyon Drake, he would be a bona fide RB1 top 12 back weekly. As we see, uh, plain and simple, he's going to be ahead of where Kenyon Drake currently is right now. Because while Kenyon Drake is fending off Chase Edmonds, if anything were to happen to Drake, Chase Edmonds would have the backfield to himself sharing with a seventh-round rookie in Eno, Eno Benjamin, which wasn't a factor in week one. So, uh, again, but the presence of Kenyon Drake will limit his immediate upside. But I do think at 20%, even if you're at fifth, sixth waiver priority, if you're not using a fab system, I definitely think you can be a very worthwhile pickup for your fantasy team. So, talking about the next guy, it's going to be Josh Kelly, running back from the LA Chargers, currently at 13% ownership in Yahoo League. So, week one, glossing over his stat line of 12 rushing attempts, 60 rushing yards. Uh, and a score. Didn't get involved in the passing game, but if you're actually looking at it for his week two tilt against KC, the KC defense allowed 118 rushing yards and 22 total attempts to the Houston Texans. And quite frankly, a guy I've been harping on all offseason, David Johnson, he looked really good. He looked really efficient. He looked rejuvenated against the Chiefs. And I will say, week one, it's not looking good for my prediction, but we'll see how he's 
ends up for the next few weeks. But David Johnson, I will say, looked like a really good back in that game on Thursday night. So talking about Josh Kelly again, once Josh, uh, Justin Jackson went down with his quad injury, Kelly sees the complimentary role to Austin Eckler. He was able to actually get 12 attempts in the second half, and most notably, four red zone carries with a 75% rushing success rate, according to Sharp Football Stats. So if you're mentioning a total, like, fab bid on him, I would say around similar to Chase Edmonds in that 20% range. Uh, I would expect more immediate production from Kelly because, again, I mentioned it all offseason, but that role that Melvin Gordon leaves behind, 204 touches in 12 games or 17 per game is still vacated. While I do think Austin Eckler is going to take a more of a bell cow type role as we saw in week one, again, 20 attempts from him. Uh, I do think there is plenty of volume to go around for the guys behind him. And if Justin Jackson is going to be missing time with quad injury, Kelly is the next in line to see that opportunity. And if he's able to, I mean, if he's able to uh, repeat that week one performance, I don't see why LA would take him out of that role. So Josh Kelly, Looked really good week one. Make sure you go get him in your fantasy league. So, uh, Next running back we're going to be talking about is Adrian Peterson, running back from the Detroit Lions. So currently 46% ownership in Yahoo leagues. Again, glossing over his week one stat line, 14 rushing attempts, 93 rushing yards. And in the receiving game, he did have a role, uh, three targets. I believe that's three receptions, but it doesn't say there. And 21 yards. So really good performance against Chicago. Week two is going to be ending up uh, going against the, uh, the Green Bay Packers. So, sorry. AP can find the end zone in this one. We'll continue to be Detroit's two down back. More of a bench piece at this point than an immediate plug and play, but he's got a safe floor, in my opinion, because of the usage. Again, projecting long-term for Detroit is going to be kind of a mess because they still have, in my opinion, the most talented back in that system in DeAndre Swift, who... Dropped the game-winning touchdown. That was a heartbreaker for me as a Swift fan. But I do think soon enough, it is going to be Swift's team. And they still got on Johnson there too. So for the immediate future, I do think Adrian Peterson can give you some flex value. Again, give you a nice safe 8-12 to 12 type uh, PPR points uh, floor. But he's not going to be a guy who's going to win you your week. So... Anything more than 10% is going to be more, uh, going to be a lot. Even 10% kind of feels like a lot. But if you're looking for a floor play, a safe lock to put in your lineup for the next few weeks, I do like uh, ending up getting Adrian Peterson as a flex play for your team. So going off the running back position, we're going to get actually enter the wide receiver position. And the one that I am most excited about is going to be Paris Campbell, wide receiver from the Indianapolis Colts. So he's currently owned in 22% of Yahoo leagues. And glossing over his week one stat line against the Jacksonville Jaguars, he had six receptions for uh, on nine targets for 71 receiving yards. And he also added nine rushing yards. So looking at his next matchup against the Minnesota Vikings, we saw what <laughs> what happened to Minnesota against Devontae Adams, if you guys were all watching on Sunday. I mean, 17 targets, 14 receptions, 156 yards, and two touchdowns. Again, you're not going to expect Paris Campbell to absolutely replicate one of the best receivers in the NFL's performances, but that just goes to show that the Minnesota Vikings are susceptible in the black end. Again, replacing a ton of pieces. Xavier Rhodes out. Now they're actually relying on Mike Hughes, who's been injured on and off through the rest of his uh for the most part of his NFL career, adding two rookie corners in Gladney and Dantzler. Definitely that whole secondary kind of struggled in week one. So if you're actually looking at it, I mean, if Paris Campbell's able to be Rivers' favorite target as he showed in week one, he can sneak into the end zone and give you a 20-point week against that Vikings putrid secondary. So with Mac out, that also adds opportunities in the passing games. I mentioned it for Naheem Hines. I do think Paris Campbell can still supplement a good receiving role in that offense. 
talking about fab potential, I'd probably say around 20% for him. Again, most of your fab is going to go to those two, two or three high-end running backs this week. But if you're trying to get uh, Paris Campbell, you're in that mid-waiver priority, six, seven, eight. I do think uh, he's a fine selection at that point. I wouldn't spend the number one or two waiver on him, but if you kind of get him that mid-tier, I'd like that uh, selection for your waiver. So again, talking about 20%, Campbell slated to come out strong last year, ended up dealing with a ton of injuries. Uh, he could be the top-scoring receiver in Indy this year. I mean, we've talked about Michael Pittman all offseason. Still like Pittman for the long term, but man, the way Paris Campbell played in week one, it does look like he's he was that number two threat coming in. And if T.Y. Hilton, plain and simple, still has the issues that we've talked about all offseason in terms of injuries, in terms of volatility, Paris Campbell could supplement a really good role in a high-volume indie passing game, especially led by Phillip Rivers. So love, Phil, uh, love Paris Campbell. Try to get him on your waiver wires. Talking about the number two option uh, on at the wide receiver position, in my opinion, it's actually going to be Robbie Anderson, wide receiver from the Carolina Panthers, currently at 31% ownership in Yahoo League. So talking about week one, again, against the Las Vegas Raiders, six receptions on eight targets, 108, 115 sorry, receiving yards, which included actually a 79-yard bomb of a touchdown and a two-point convert. So week two, he does play a Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense that will be focusing on slowing down CMC. Uh, Anderson still has home run type potential in this game and he's shown a chemistry with Teddy Bridgewater. So if you're talking about a third option for the Carolina Panthers, again, obviously we know the top two options are going to be CMC and DJ Moore. Robbie Anderson figures to be the best bet as the number three option on what should be a high volume passing offense. And if that's the case, I mean, Robbie Anderson is going to be seeing a good flex wide receiver three type role for your lineup. So definitely like him. Again, 20% similar to Campbell. Given what we've seen this past week, that Bridgewater-Anderson connection could be very real this year. Again, they were on humming, humming against that Las Vegas Raiders secondary. Uh, I mean, you just don't usually see a receiver's first game with the team, albeit it was a quarterback's first game as well, and just see eight targets right off the bat. Robbie Anderson could definitely be the real deal for fantasy football this year. So betting that 20% around range is a fair bid for him, in my opinion. Depending on how your league is, you could probably even get him for cheaper because people aren't really focused on him. So going into the next option section, going to be Preston Williams, wide receiver from Miami. doesn't say on the screen, but he's actually at 38% ownership in Yahoo leagues. So again, glossing over his week line stat line against New England. Not too great. Two receptions on seven targets for only 41 yards. But the main reason why he's here is because of the injury of Devontae Parker. Again, as you guys can see on the screen, Devontae Parker suffered a hamstring injury. Actually missed the uh, majority of the second half. I believe he got injured at the beginning of the third quarter. And if he's going to be missing significant time, again, those hamstring strains are a mess to deal with from a fantasy football perspective, from a real-life perspective. If he's going to be missing time or if he's going to be playing limited in games, I do think the majority of the Miami Dolphins' passing offense is going to revolve around Preston Williams and Mike Jusicki until he returns to full strength. So looking at the matchup against Buffalo, again, Buffalo just yielded 7 for 19 and 1. Uh, stat line to Jamison Crowder. Again, I'll be, he was running mostly from the slot, but that just goes to show that they are susceptible to uh, receivers putting up production for them uh, against him. Sorry. And if you're talking about a potential fab bid on a guy like Preston Williams, I'd say around 50%. It's probably around an optimal uh, sizing for him. Again, operating as a wide receiver one for the Dolphins, he's in line to see enough volume to make him fantasy relevant for the time being. He can definitely be a really good flex play because of that said volume. So like Preston Williams, talking about the next game, Next name, sorry. A guy I have touted all offseason as a potential sleeper. You guys can check out that sleepers video on the NFC uh, 
or the preview on the NFC South, but talk about Russell Gage as a sleeper. 2% ownership in Yahoo Leagues. You just scared me. <laughs> 2% ownership in Yahoo Leagues. Uh, week one against Seattle was able to produce nine receptions on 12 targets for 114 yards. Talking about that Seattle game, man. Those Atlanta wide receivers were phenomenal. All of them receiving nine receptions and 114 plus yards. I mean, that Atlanta passing offense is humming. Humming. Week two, they enter a tilt against the Dallas Cowboys. It could be a shootout where Matt Ryan could throw for a ton of yards again. Again, 450 yards against a Seahawks secondary. That is, at minimum, above average. You're facing off against a Cowboys secondary. Who is unproven? Had a good showing against the Los Angeles Rams. But ultimately, as I mentioned, the game script in this one could be heavy scoring, especially with how putrid the Atlanta secondary is. According to PFF, AJ Terrell actually was the worst-graded cornerback in Week 1. If that's going to be the case, the Atlanta passing offense is going to have to supplement that loss on defense. And that week, that week one of seeing 12 targets just shows that he has trust from Matt Ryan. Again, we could be seeing uh, Russell Gage have a weekly six to eight target type uh, range. And if that's the case on a high octane offense, he's definitely worth that 15% tight fab potential. Again, I do believe this is a situation where we're going to see three guys per week snap between Julio, Ridley, Gage, and Hurst. And uh, one of them is going to disappoint. So the re the reason why I'm kind of at only 15% here, again, if, there, if it wasn't that case, I would put him much higher, 25 30%. But uh, Hurst active, I do think he's going to acclimate a bigger role. And if he does receive a higher tar target output, I do think that's going to come strictly from Gage's target total. So that's one to watch. But 15% is definitely worth it for a guy with as much upside as we saw on Sunday. So love Russell Gage. Talking about the uh, the next receiver, it's a guy that's definitely burned a ton of people in the past. I don't have his percentage rate on here, unfortunately, but it's actually Corey Davis from the Tennessee Titans. So as we saw on Monday night again, week one against Denver, seven receptions on eight targets for 101 yards. Week two, he does play the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars secondary that conceded 363 passing yards to the Indianapolis Colts. And with the defense and C.J. Anderson likely focused on A.J. Brown, Davis could be primed to build upon that explosive week one performance. So when you're talking about Davis, obviously he's a guy that's burned many of us in the past, but these next few weeks will be defining for whether it, week one was a mirage or if he's actually going to be the real deal for the course of the 2020 season. So talking about a potential fab bid, I would say around 10% is probably optimal for him. Talking about that, again, building in the risks associated with what we have gotten with Davis in the past, at least to that 10%. If we were not burned from him in the past, if we didn't see these mirages before, I would say he would be definitely on par with the Karis Campbells, the Russell Gages, uh, those guys uh, at around 20 to 25%. But again, because of that risk, I would probably near him about 10%. Hopefully this time we're getting the real deal, but you just can't ignore 100 yards and eight targets in week one. So like Corey Davis uh, coming off waivers. Talking about tight ends, segueing into it, obviously off receivers into the tight end position. The main guy is going to be Dallas Goddard tight end from the Philadelphia Eagles. He's at currently 55% ownership, barely meeting the threshold set for this video. But if he's available in your league, 45% of leagues he is, go and grab him. Eight receptions on nine targets for 101 yards and one touchdown week one against a Washington Redskins defense that generally stuffed the Eagles all around, but Dallas Goddard still had a game. So if you're looking at it, week two against LA Rams, obviously LA didn't give up much to the Dallas tight ends, but Blake Jarwin. The Blake out, rip the Blake out, but man, torn ACL out for the year. Dallas was relying on a tight end in Dalton Schultz that frankly isn't quite good. 
whereas Dallas Goddard actually is quite good. And if you're actually mentioning in terms of offensive philosophy, Dallas has three number one wide receivers, while Carson Wentz is one to hyper-target his tight ends. Again, the receiving game, we don't necessarily know what's going on. I mean, Deshaun Jackson, Jalen Regner are kind of volatile in terms of week-to-week production. And Miles Sanders is still coming off a hamstring injury. Boston Scott, you know, there's tons of question marks in that secondary. So, Or not secondary, in that backfield. So what's uh, Carson Wentz known for doing? He's going to target his tight ends. We know how good Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard are. Dallas Goddard is going to be a top target for this Philly offense. Uh, basically for the rest of the year. I mean, he's the number two target for Carson Wentz in his mind. So if you're actually looking at it, Goddard was a tight end one last year, and he's showing us that he can keep that title again. So talking about a thought potential, I would even say up to 45% if you're absolutely needy at the tight end position because Goddard can absolutely be your starting tight end every single week, in my opinion, with what he showed in week one in terms of involvement. So love Goddard, barely missed the threshold, but if he's still available on your waiver wire, make sure you go pick him up again. 45%, I'd feel fine with spending on him. Logan Thomas, 2% owned on Yahoo. Again, week one sideline against the Philadelphia Eagles. Four receptions, eight targets, 37 yards, and a score. So if you're looking at uh, this matchup against Arizona, again, they did pretty good against George Kittle week one. I'll bet George Kittle was hurt, so you got to keep that in mind. But the, they were the worst team against the tight end position in 2019. So is week one a mirage? Are they going to stick to that? I don't know, but I'll take the proven model of the 2019 season that they showed against the tight end position again. Isaiah Simmons kind of struggled in week one, so we'll see how we adjust. But if you're talking about Logan Thomas in terms of involvement in that Washington football team offense, again, he saw a 25% target share in week one. Actually over, to be honest, because he had eight targets on 31 total attempts from Dwayne Hassan. So you do the math there, that's about 8.3%, um, or 25.3%. So if you're actually looking at it, if Thomas sees a weekly 25% target share, he would be one of the most reliable tight ends in the game, especially in the red zone, as we saw in week one with that score. If you're talking about foul potential, because he's kind of unproven, I would say 10% is going to be able to get him. Not a lot of people in your league are going to look at him and just see, oh, I got to pick this guy up. But if you're actually looking under wraps, the thing I look for is that eight target involvement in a uh, in an offense that frankly has question marks in terms of weapons outside of Terry McLaurin and maybe Steven Sims other than Logan Thomas. So I don't think you'll have to break the bank uh, but because of the low yardage total, but you can get him. He could be a steal if he keeps earning Hoskins trust. So talking about the next option at the tight end position, we're going to be going OJ. Yeah, we're going to be going over OJ Howard tight end from Tampa Bay. So currently 17% ownership in Yahoo leagues. Week one against New Orleans, four receptions on six targets, 36 yards, and a score. Week two, he gets to play a Carolina defense. So Howard comes off a solid showing against New Orleans, and while Carolina is kind of stingy against tight end position historically, if Howard is uh, involved to the tune he was in week one, he is well worth a bit, in my opinion. Again, Howard showed why the fantasy football community touted him as a huge 2019 breakout and was arguably Tampa Bay's best offensive player on Sunday. If he keeps performing the way he did in week one, there's no reason to think why Tom Brady would not target him the way he did. So he's talking about five potential again because of Gronk's uh, presence still being there. I wouldn't be doing more than 5%. But in my opinion, he's a worthy gamble given the upside if he's able to continue getting Brady's trust. So great performance from a... Uh, an option in OJ Tower that is uber talented. If he's still going to be involved in that offense the way he was in week one, I would be much willing to spend that 5% fab on him. So 
If we're talking about defensive streamers, streaming off, getting off the tight end position. We're going to be talking about my favorite uh, three streamers for week two in fantasy football. We're going to be talking about the Arizona Cardinals defense, which is only 3% owned in Yahoo against Washington football team. We got the Tennessee Titans defense at 51% owned against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And we got the Los Angeles Rams defense, 48% against the Philadelphia Eagles. Talking about Arizona, again, Washington, the question mark, it's all over with that offense, as I mentioned. Again, I like Logan Thomas. I like Terry McLaurin. I like Dane Haskins but, and Steven Sims, but we'll see what they actually are able to do from a consistency basis. Not really that type of offense you're scared of. And if you're talking about the Cardinals, again, that's going to be a team that's going to be up for the majority of the game. If that's the case, I do think they're going to be able to pin their ears back, cause a ton of turnovers for a team in Washington that's unproven on the offensive end. Tennessee Titans, I mean, one of the top defenses in the league overall. They get a matchup against Jacksonville, who was super efficient in week one, but ultimately still is a team that has its struggles on offense. I love Gardner Minshew, but plain and simple, that overall offense is a question mark. So Tennessee Titans have proven to be a tough defense to play against. I do think that they have a low-scoring affair and ultimately cause some turnovers for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So my favorite matchup actually out of these three is actually going to be the Los Angeles Rams defense against the Philadelphia Eagles, the banged-up Philadelphia Eagles that gave up eight sacks to the Washington football team. PFF actually graded their their pressure rates in terms of – like allowed per offensive line. And it actually was a shock to see that the Dallas Cowboys allowed the third most or third highest pressure percentage at 40% when they played the LA Rams. The Philadelphia Eagles allowed a 34% pressure rate, which was actually fourth to the Washington football team. So look at it. The Los Angeles Rams get after the quarterback and the Philadelphia Eagles cannot block to save their lives at this point. So if you're talking about a Washington football team defense that put up eight sacks, five different players, 19, just get this stat into your head, right? 19 total players on the weekend put up four or more pressures. Five of them, five of them were on the Washington football team. Now the Eagles have to, go, uh, have to go against the Los Angeles Rams defense that still employ Aaron Donald against a weekend. <coughs> Sorry. Against a weakened interior, got Leonard Floyd, got Michael Brockers. I mean, that defense is going to be flying around. Now, ultimately, again, if Wentz is going to be under pressure, we know his tendency to fumble the football. And if they're going to be playing under wraps, under pressure, I do think that it can cause some turnovers on the back end with Jalen Ramsey out there. So I love the Los Angeles Rams defense this week. If you have a chance to stream them in any one of your leagues, go make sure they are picked up because they are going to be putting on a clinic this week against a battered Eagles offensive line. So, again, that'll wrap up the week one entering week two waiver show. This will be coming out every Tuesday for you guys. I'm going to try to get it out for the morning from now on, but this should be out at about 1231 if you're watching this. Again, go make sure you put these claims in. We, uh, we all know waiver wire Wednesday is coming, so make sure you get your claims in, get your fab right. And aside from that, football's back, y'all. Week two coming up. You better be hyped. Leave how hyped you are in the comments. If you have made it this far, make sure you go like, comment, subscribe down below for daily content in terms of fantasy football. But I'm Danny. Peace out, y'all.